Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Uncensored Sales Podcast. I am your host, Ryan Dowdy, sales coach and revenue mentor for service-based entrepreneurs. And I am here today with Sarah Jo Crawford. Sarah Jo is fantastic. I'm gonna let her tell her story. But in fun fact, Sarah Jo is my very first sales coaching client. Uh, we were connected through a mutual connection on LinkedIn and got on just kind of a networking coffee. And she actually warned me that like, hey, I think this is gonna turn into a sales call, which is pretty funny. Um, but I am so excited to have her as a guest on the podcast. So hi, Sarah Jo. Hey, Ryan. Thank you so much for being here. I am so stoked to be here. I am honored and privileged. And <laughs> I have a feeling, even though this is typically a 20 minute podcast, at the rate at which we both speak, I'm, I'm expecting like a solid 10. Ooh, that's like a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell us about you. Tell me about you, your business, your entrepreneurship journey. Um, tell us about it. Sure. So yes, I was your first client, Ryan, and I take much pride in that because I did sell my, I sell, sold you on working with me as soon as, as soon as you started talking about what you did, I was like, Oh my God, be my friend, be my mentor, be my sensei, take all my money that I don't have. Um, so yes, that is true. I was your first client. I take much pride in that. So I started my professional career in a corporate environment. I worked at a home loan company that had a really big in-house marketing team. So while I haven't, I don't have any agency experience, I'm learning more and more how unique that experience was because I had access to this huge video crew and a writing crew and like an SEO department. Like it was pretty insane. So I was a social media director at this, I think I had 4 million people in the network that I managed. So I managed so much. And it was such this, it was this incredible, cool experience, especially so early on in my career, but quickly realized that I had delegated myself out of a job, something people didn't warn me about. And then I was bored out of my damn mind. <laughs> so I actually quit that job about, yeah, about four years ago, I walked to my boss's office and I was like, listen, you keep giving me more money because you want me to stay. Uh, I'm not doing anything for you. So I'm going to go ahead and fire myself. So I stepped away from that to figure out what I wanted to do. I knew entrepreneurship was always on my agenda at some point. I didn't expect to jump into it that soon, but as I was like applying for regular jobs, I mean, the, the day I quit, I had three job offers from different places that were all totally fine job offers, but when uh, weighed against the idea of entrepreneurship or doing something on my own, all of a sudden I realized how much I wanted to do something on my own. Um, I'd been in a really roomy cage and I was offered three other different kinds of cages. And I was like, actually, I want to be completely on my own. So my husband graciously, not graciously, he was totally cool with it. We did 60 days of fun employment till I started figuring and at the end of 60 days, I had to figure out how to start paying some bills. So that was kind of our arrangement. And I started picking up skills and I picked up uh, some design, some web development. I started writing. I spent about a year picking up all kinds of odd freelance jobs. And it wasn't until my husband wanted to quit as well that we were like, all right, well, we got to figure something out to do together now. So we started zeroing in on the public speaking industry, mainly because one of our best friends was in the public speaking industry and we both love performing in public speaking. And so we're like, okay, well, how can we serve this group of people? So it's been three years-ish now that we've been serving this small niche public speakers, authors, and consultants, because there tends to be a lot of overlap. Sure. Um, I build websites for them, um, do some content development, blogs, and that kind of thing, and some video. And then my husband also works with public speakers, but he does a lot more of the video stuff. So between Cole and I, essentially, we just work with public speakers all day, every day. And by the time I got on the phone with you, 
I had reached a point in our business where I was like, okay, well I am way undercharging and I don't know how to sell anything. And my calls were a mess. So that is the progression <laughs> of my business. Oh, and my name, the name of my business is Sparkworth. I always forget to like, cause it is me. I forget that it has its own name. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, so how long have you and Cole been, how long has Cole been self-employed full time? I think technically three years. Okay. It'll be three years this summer. He did not quit with the intention of joining me as self-employed. That has never been something he even wanted to do, <laughs> but he saw me doing it. And then for whatever reason, he kept applying to jobs, wasn't finding anything that really fit. And so I was like, why don't we just try this? So I kind of coerced him into it. And now I don't know if he could do anything else. I think I feel like I've ruined him. <laughs> that is the, you hear that though. Like there are people mm -hmm. that are like, no, I, I have made myself unemployable. Like that, that's very, yes. very common. Oh, I am the worst employee. Oh my gosh. No one should hire me ever. <laughs> I love that. And just because this is a different story with you being married and working together, how do you guys work through like work-life balance? Cause that's, it's such a buzzword right now, right? But yeah, how do you balance that? Like being business partners, being spouses, has it been a challenge or do you guys just really awesome and have fun all the time? Um, I think we're, we are really awesome and have fun all the time. <laughs> I, I, I really, that your answer. Yeah. I, I really think that, it, you know, it has its own unique set of challenges, but I was actually thinking the other day, even so if I had, you know, if I had my husband in one box and then I went to work and had, you know, maybe a co-founder or something that was a separate person, that would be then two really intimate relationships I'd have to tend to. Um, because to work alongside somebody, there's this, I use intimate in sure. its truest form. Um, I use intimate with a friend who's not, uh, English isn't her first language and she was horrified. And so I've had to be a little bit more <laughs> careful about how I, sh I was just, I'm like, this is an intimate dinner. And she like looked at me horrified. Um, so either way, the, the work relationships have to be tended to, and it's really, it, it's almost more efficient that they're both in the same bucket. So we do a lot of, this is your husband speaking, or this is your business partner speaking. Um, and a lot of just clarifying before we start conversations. Um, we're both really honest about like when we want it to be shut down. So there's some nights when work will naturally come up and then it'll get the other person thinking. And so we kind of have like firewalls we put up is kind of what we call it. So if an idea sparks and I'm like, oh, I was talking to Ryan today and I forgot to tell you about this earlier. It, as long as it's like under five minutes, it's fine. Um, we just got like these little self-imposed rules. But for the most part, I found it to be far more efficient to be married to my business partner because we can kind of handle things together all at once. Um, he kind of already knows what's going on all the time. We just have to have those more intentional qualifiers. Okay, so who's talking to me right now? Or do you want support as your spouse or support as your business partner or support as a colleague or even as your roommate? And then there's also other days when I'm like, hey, I need like my husband to, I need to spend time with my husband today. I have not spent time with him in a while. Or I miss my husband. We say that a lot, which you will find funny because we're with each other all the time. Right. Also, like I miss my husband. And he'll be like, I miss my wife. And it very much means if we haven't spent time as a couple in a while because we spent so much time as a business partner or even just, I think marriages deal with the, are you my husband or are you my roommate thing? So there's all those different right. connections we have to one another and just making sure that we're being intentional about which part needs tended to. Um, but as far as work-life balance, it's kind of a load of bull crap. It's just whatever's working for yep. the team at that moment, right? Like there's some nights where I'm like, I'm going to work until 11 o'clock tonight. And then he's like, cool, I'll do that too. And we just work around one another. It's just kind of, 
And then we just make sure that it hasn't exceeded, you know, oh, five days of us working right. till 9 p.m. That's a problem. And we deal with it then. But we don't have any hard and fast rules. I love that. That's really awesome. And I think that's, but that's life in general. So I love how mm -hmm. you put that into context as business partners. But I mean, it happens, it happens in life when you're not business partners. So like my husband and I, even before we had kids, you know, it was, yeah, very much the transactional things, you know, Kevin used to work in restaurants. I used to travel and like, we would see each other in passing and it'd be like, okay, you know, did somebody buy dog food, you know, mm -hmm. did the house get cleaned, like just really transactional things. And, um, with the way our life was going. So I bet a lot of people could resonate with that, even if their spouse isn't their business partner about all the different hats we wear with our spouse that are mm -hmm. not spouse. So that was, that was really interesting. That got me thinking, um, and I'm super guilty of working all of the time, um, <laughs> super guilty and God bless my sweet husband. He's totally okay with that. But I keep telling myself like, this is a season, right? Like I'm working mm -hmm. for something very specific. This is a season. Um, but for you guys, it's not a season, right? It's your life. So mm -hmm. uh, good for you guys for balancing that. Well, and we always do like, what's our end game. So if that's like, I'm working 12 hours a day, is there an end in sight with that? Or is this our new normal? Cause like, do we want that to be our new normal? We're both uh, similar enough in the sense that we both like to play and have fun. So thankfully neither one of us, we like working, but we don't love working. Like if I got to choose between working and hanging out with him, I would hang out with him 100% of the time. So that actually for us, like neither one of us are for either party, like actually truly loved working all the time. And I know people that do that and it boggles my brain. Um, I could see that would be probably a different kind of hurdle was I struggled just not wanting to go downstairs to hang out with him all the time. <laughs> sure. Absolutely. My husband's like that too. He said he always wants to be in the same room as me. And I'm like, I need you to go away. Cause <laughs> I happened last night. I'm sitting at the kitchen table and I'm finishing up my stuff and I try to like hard and fast shut it down at 9 PM. Like that's my thing. Um, so it's like eight 50 and I'm trying to finish something up and he's sitting across the kitchen table from me, like talking to me. Like I really just want to tell you to sh shut up, but that would be really rude. But I'm like, I just need like 10 more minutes to finish this. And he's like, I just want to hang out with you. And then I feel like a huge jerk. Right. Um, that's when I pull out the, I love you so much, but I need you to get out of my face right now. I need I you to disappear. Need 10, more 10 more minutes. That's all I need. Uh, and I've learned he appreciates that too, like time checks. Yes. Like I'll say, hey, I probably have about an hour's worth of work to do. Or, you know, hey, I'll be done by nine. Like I've, I've learned to give him those checks so he knows. Mm -hmm. um, that helps with the heft to be like, dude, I need you to stop talking. For <laughs> so, it helps. <laughs> Um, so tell me what has been your biggest challenge in growing your business? What, what have you faced over the past three years? Um, that's been really challenging for you. For me, let's see. I always feel like I'm kind of a, an, a, an odd one out in the typical entrepreneur sphere. Um, I haven't dealt with imposter syndrome as much of, I feel like it's typically like the female answer. Um, I hear a lot and I always feel like, oh, actually I've never felt like an, impo like an imposter. I feel like I've always belonged. Um, I feel like I've, I genuinely feel like everyone's just about as qualified at everything. Sure. Um, and so I've never actually dealt with that, but it's something that pokes its head up. So that's always, I feel like the answer I'm supposed to give. Um, I would say my biggest obstacle has been, I don't know. <laughs> Honestly, what I want to say is everything's an obstacle. Life is hard. That is what I want to say because it, it feels like that sometimes. But I would say finding good resources and making sure I'm using the right resources and listening to the right people. Because um, I've had a lot of different 
people um, feeding into my life and in my marriage and in my work and everything. I've got all these people who I want to listen to and take in their feedback. And I would say the biggest challenge has been deciding whose feedback to take and whose feedback not to take. Cause I've taken advice from people, well-intentioned, good advice, um, but it didn't resonate with me. And I took the advice anyway, and it ended up either backfiring or just feeling really wrong for me. So being okay with being like, I love this person and I love their business advice, or I really trust them. Um, but saying, okay, that advice is well-intentioned, but that does not mean I have to use it. And it's okay if it does not work for my business. I think that's been the biggest thing. It's just being like, my business is going to look different and weird. And the way I work is going to look different and weird. And that's okay. And I can still be successful without following the other, everyone else's footsteps. Cause um, I mean, I'm a, I always kind of put myself in this subset. I'm a female Christian entrepreneur and in this small town, I tend to start feeling like I'm alone in that because mm-hmm. I, you know, I look up business advice, but it's a bunch of dudes and I'm like, okay, I can resonate somewhat with you. Um, but then I find, okay, a female business owner. Okay. So I resonate a little bit, but I, I fundamentally are like life values are different. So there's always those little mm-hmm. different things that come up. And so I've just started to honor and respect that like, oh, I, I am a really, I am my own unique subset and understanding that not one person is probably going to get me. Um, I haven't ever really seen like a perfect role model of like the kind of person I want to be. And I think that's, uh, I think some people have that and that's super cool. I've never seen like a person I actually want to be when I grow up like through and through. And so it's like, Oh, I get to create this person from scratch. And so that's been my biggest obstacle is being okay with the fact that the person I want to be doesn't exist yet. I love that. That's awesome. And it goes back to our conversation we were having before we pushed record about growing a business and constantly being told you should do it this way, or here's the formula for, you know, nowadays it's six and seven figure success and blah, 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 Mm -hmm. and all the shirts and cuts. And I was explaining to you that I think that, well, I don't want to overcomplicate things. I don't think there's a one size fits all for what all of my prospective clients need. And I'm sure working with speakers and authors and different size web projects and different amounts Mm -hmm. of video work and time that there's a one size fits all for your clients either. No, not at all. And that's been, that's my classic answer to that is like, that's why all my pricing is starting at. Right. That's it. That's all you need to know. It starts out here. And then everything from there is just talk to us. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's so interesting. And I love that the people, like, I think that's so true about all of us. Like the people we want to be, they, they don't exist yet. And we get to create that. And it's such an amazing, exciting thing. And it, it took me a long time. You're younger than me. So kudos to you and to Cole to figuring that out so young. It took me to my mid thirties to be like, oh shit, I, I don't have to follow this. this <laughs> following? Like what? <laughs> no, I, and I've, so I actually, I don't think those from me, Ryan, but I grew up in a family. I mean, you know, you know that I'm in a family of nine children, but I was also homeschooled. So I've always been like the weirdo loner, never really fit in. So I think that's why I accepted that early. Like I just accepted early on that very few people had, well, actually, that's not true. I know a lot of people have had big family homeschooled. That's not actually that rare, but <laughs> big school or big family homeschooled. And then wants to be an entrepreneur in the quote unquote secular world growing up in a very Christian family. It's this, I'm like, Oh, I am weird. And I am weird and different. I've always known I'm weird and different. So for me, I did have to accept that earlier. Otherwise I would have resented it and then truly been weird and different. And now I'm the good kind of weird and different. <laughs> you are my favorite kind of weird and different. <laughs> my friend. So Um, when you started your business, how did you feel about sales? Like having come out of a marketing background, it doesn't sound like sales was a big part of your, of your role in the corporate space. How did that part of the business feel for you, Sergio? 
Oh, I hated it so much. Um, <laughs> you didn't I, even let me finish that. Like that didn't come all the way out of my mouth. No, I hated it so much. I wanted to set it on fire. Um, <laughs> I started with good advice from mentors that was like, charge what you're worth. And so I was actually charging more when I started than I was a year in because I kind of ran out of gusto because I've kind of found that, so for, for me, sales was not natural. And so I was pulling off this kind of fake it till you make it vibe, right? And I wasn't refueling that in any way. I, it wasn't based on any real knowledge. So it, it's kind of like that muscle or that energy kind of ran out. And I finally reached a point when I was like, hire me or don't, I don't care. Like, I just don't have the energy for this. Um, it, was, it was just an exhausting experience. Uh, I would write proposals and send them to like, you know, friends or colleagues. Like, can you look at this and tell me what to do? And like, just, just tell me how to fix it. And I didn't know how to, like, I didn't know how to do the logistical, like actually asking for money. So like, I'm going to send you a check or I'm going to send you an invoice. Thankfully, my first few clients were really, really, um, like they wanted to pay me. Like they were people who were on it. So I got lucky in that way. And since then I've had people that I've had to kind of be like, well, you need to pay me now. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, sales was my I think for, I think for a while I thought I was good at it because people liked me and like, Oh, I enjoy talking to people on the phone. So I'm good at sales. Um, but it wasn't until Cole started working with me that he was like, wait, did you make a sale or did you just make a friend? And I was like, Oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. And that's when I realized I was being friend zoned. I wasn't asking for money. And I realized that like, I didn't actually have much. So like in college I took some sales courses. So I was aware of like the premise of sales um, I just thought for a long time it was like add as much value as you can for a 60 minute call and then maybe they'll give you your money. I thought it was kind of, I thought that's how it went. So by the time you and I started talking, I was like, oh, I can, I can demystify this and sit down on phone calls with an idea of what's about to happen instead of like, feel like I'm rolling the dice every time. Yes. Oh, that's so true. Thank you for being so descriptive in that answer. Cause there are so many people that I talk to that feel that same way. And people listening to this podcast that like probably haven't communicated it as eloquently as you did. Like that was so perfect of, you know, I provide so much value in 60 minutes and hope that they buy something. And that's 100% what I see most of my clients doing is I'm having all these discovery calls and I'm not getting any clients. And I'm like, well, are you asking for money? <laughs> okay. Well, there's also this other element of, I think, and I'm just going to speak to all like new female entrepreneurs out there. Okay. So when you first get started, you really want to help people. I think that's why most of us get into business. And if yeah. that's not why you're in business, I feel like you're going to struggle, but you want to help people. So you're kind of okay with not taking a lot of money at first. And then like six months, maybe one year mark when you're like stressed out about money is when all of a sudden you're like, Oh crap, I need to get good at sales. Otherwise I can't keep the lights on, which means I can't help people. Um, at least in my case, I actually became a little bit bitter. By the time you and I got on the phone, I was straight up bitter at my clients. Um, and it was a bitterness I had allowed to happen. If I would have just created, you know, financial expectations from the beginning, I wouldn't resent my clients. But I kind of reached the point where I'm like, I'm giving you so much. Why aren't you giving me money? Well, I wasn't asking. Um, but you don't have to let yourself get to that point of bitterness or scrambling for cash to start incorporating sales. Because sales feels selfish at the beginning. Like, oh, why would I ask for money? I just want to help. Um, don't let it get to the point where you're, you know, you're struggling or you're scrambling or you're realizing that it's not worth it. And you think you have to quit in order to realize it's not selfish. And it's actually how you sustainably help people is when you're making money for it. Um, I started using that line with clients who wanted a deal or a cut, or I'm like, well, I mean, well, if I do your website, will you pay my mortgage? And that kind of shut that conversation. Down. 
Yes. I love when you get to that point when you can be so bold. I'm mm-hmm. always tempted to coach people to that, but so many of my entrepreneurs that I work with are new entrepreneurs and they don't have the gusto for that just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's like, that's totally me. Like I totally say things like that. <laughs> You think if I just walked into the Mercedes dealership and was like, I'm only going to give you 20 grand for that car, they'd give it to me? <laughs> no, like, and that's, and I think that, I think for, so you're, you're naturally one of those women who just kind of has that, that gusto within them. And for those who don't, I can just see them growing bitter and more bitter, especially if they're like an, uh, someone who's prone to overgiving or overserving um, and they don't naturally kind of look out for themselves. Uh, I'm just like, please don't let yourself get to, to point bitter. You'll really hate yourself. You'll be really bummed that you now resent people. You know, like if you keep giving all this away, you're going to learn to hate the world and you don't have to feel that way. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. That's so true. So as you've evolved over three years, you know, you and I have spent some time working together. Your business has evolved. Um, have your feelings about sales changed? Do you still have that? Like, Oh my gosh, I hate this feeling. Is it a necessary evil or is it something you've embraced and learned to feel good about? Um, it's definitely something I've embraced and I feel more competent. It's something I want to continue to refine as especially, I mean, I don't care what size your business is, your packages and your products and everything change. So you have to continually revisit the way you're doing things. And it's a lot of experimenting and tinkering and, you know, I will say that my first, the first time you and I talked, I think one of the biggest things was I don't want people to feel sold to, right? I want people to feel like I'm listening to them. So I really struggled with the idea of formalizing like a, um, like a set of questions I ask people or a process. I, that was, I didn't want people to feel like they were being processed like cat hole. Like I wanted them to feel like, oh, we're talking to a person. And so whenever you and I talked, you encouraged me like, no, like here's like a set of like four questions you should answer at this point in the sales process. So I wrote them down. I made my little worksheet and I had a client who'd already been kind of going through my informal funnel and he was really kind. And so I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm trying to uh, formalize my process. Do you mind if I kind of take you through it? And he was like, sure. So I asked him what I thought seemed like very pointed. I don't want to say rude. I don't think rude is the right question. They just weren't like organic questions. Like I had to I couldn't easily just work them into the flow of conversations. I was like, no, I've got four questions I need answered. So like, let's go through those. Um, He loved it. He actually loved feeling listened to in such an intentional way. It's not that I wasn't listening before, but these questions he knew I had set aside for him. Um, On top of that, I was able to take meaningful notes for the first time. So I was really hesitant of a process. I really like from a face value, I was like process seems impersonal. It seems like I'm just treating people like um, a carbon copy of something else. But now that I've learned to use it, it's been amazing to me and very much an eye opener that people actually love feeling like you had a plan for them before you got on the call. They love feeling like you are leading and they love knowing that you got everything you wanted out of them. Maybe that's what it is. I think before I had people getting off the phone that were like, I'm not sure if she asked all the right questions. And so now I feel like when I get on these calls, like I have everything I need and people, by the time we get off the phone, I'm like, do you have any questions? And they're like, no, no, I don't. And they're kind of surprised by that. And so that like I embracing the process has been a big thing for me who I just want to have fun and talk on the phone. Um, and it allows me to have that fun, but I still get what I need out of it. And the client gets what they need as well. Awesome. My favorite thing about all of that that you just said, well, I love all of it and it makes my type A sales heart so happy, is you talked about that you are leading. And that mm-hmm. is such an interesting thing. And especially for women, um, 
to be the one who is leading the conversation. Like, yes, this is a sales conversation. And yes, I want you to buy something for me, but this is the opportunity to establish authority, right? Mm -hmm. Like I am leading you through a series of questions to determine if we're both a fit to work together, right? Like, yes, I need you to like me, but if I'm going to build a website for you and be so immersed in your business for the next however long this takes, mm -hmm. I have to like you too. You know, <laughs> like it's cool that you have money, but I don't want to spend the next 90 days with an ass, right? Like, oh my gosh. That is another thing. So before the sales process, one of the other strategies I took was just ask the other person a million questions. Like that was my thing. Like just let them talk about themselves. And so then I was finishing these phone calls with people and I had not shared a single detail about myself. They didn't know where I was physically located on this planet. And they would finish with, I really like you. I'd love to work with you. And I was like, you don't even know who I am. You don't like me. And that's another thing I realized was like by just asking a bajillion questions, that wasn't solving it either. Cause I, I had to do that. I didn't like them cause I hadn't had a chance to share at all. And so there wasn't, you know, an actual relationship wasn't being built. I was just letting people talk about themselves, which it does help in terms of your likability, but it doesn't exactly preclude a, or doesn't exactly allow for a, like an actual relationship to be built. So right. building in the like, and this is when I talk about myself <laughs> right? because I do want to make sure people are prepared for me. Um, I'm a stronger personality. I am a, a challenger. And if people don't love that about me, they need to probably not work with me. That's totally fine. Um, and so that's something that I also kind of baked into this process was, and this is when I talk about myself. Right. Yep. Absolutely. It's the sales process, right? We, we do mm -hmm. the discovery call and then we have to make a recommendation and the recommendation is where we get to sell ourselves. So mm -hmm. awesome. I love all of that. So aside from sales, um, what do you feel is the most important part of growing a business in your past three years? What are some like, holy shit moments that you're like, gosh, I wish somebody would have told me this a few years ago. Hmm. It's just so many small, maybe not holy shits, but oh shits. Um, <laughs> um, I would say the biggest, let's, I'll pick a, I'll pick a department marketing wise. I would say the biggest oh shit with marketing was realizing that really good marketing, especially social media marketing was, is born from a love of the the community and not out of like a desire to market. So I'd put out blogs. I was like, and after being in social media in such a big capacity for all, I was burnt out on social media for a while. I was like, I don't want to post to Facebook ever again. But as I kind of learned to fall in love with, for me, it was LinkedIn, um, to fall in love with the power of the platforms. Um, that was such a big moment for me. Content became easier to create connections started happening, you know, LinkedIn, that's how you and I connected is because then I connected with somebody. I still, I have never met you physically online or the man who introduced us physically. <laughs> and like that to me is so incredibly powerful because I did, I fell in love with the whole process and like, I wanted to be there. I wanted to be involved. I wanted to help. And when I did that, it no longer felt like, Oh, I've got to create a post. It was like, Oh no, I get to like hang out with my friends today. So kind of, falling in love with a platform that worked well with my personality was probably my biggest, oh shit, <laughs> in terms of marketing was like, oh, I can just, I can enjoy this. And when I do enjoy it, my content's better versus when I just try to like, just, just market, you know, like just create stuff and put it out there instead. I, and I always tell, I had a client who really wanted to grow an Instagram. Oh, sorry. Let me redo that. Okay. 
I had a client who really wanted to grow Instagram and I was all for it. Um, and she kept, she bought a course. She actually hired somebody. He did nothing. It was a big mistake. And I kept telling her the whole time, I said, listen, you don't need to, there's no secret to Instagram. You don't need to hack it or like, you can follow a formula if you'd like, but more importantly, like, do you enjoy being on Instagram? Cause it will show up. Do you enjoy looking at other people's stuff? Like if you don't enjoy being on there, then it's not going to work. And she, once again, she spent all this money on stuff. And then she called me a few months ago and she was like, Oh my God, you were so right. She goes, I love it now because I love spending time on there and getting to know people and responding. And I don't spend my whole life on there, but um, enjoying the channel you're on, I think is just, is just makes a world of a difference. That's awesome. I wrote down what you said about hanging out with my friends. I get to hang out with my friends today. And I think that's such great advice in general for entrepreneurs and not that like everything is all fun all of the time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, when it comes to marketing, when it comes to sales, when it comes to connecting with your audience, that's how it should feel. Like again, if you are putting on a sales hat and doing something like you said that, that the process felt unnatural to you at first, but it's because you're, you're, you were visioning it as you had to come out of your persona to be a different persona. And it wasn't at all what I was asking you to do. I was asking you to be who you are, but follow this process. And it's so what you just said about, I get to hang out with my friends today. Like when you approach social content or you approach sales conversations, don't do or say anything that you wouldn't do or say with your friends. Like, mm -hmm. why are we doing this? And I, I coach this all the time when it comes to making connections with strangers online, like my, my favorite line is like, you would never walk up to somebody at a cocktail party and ask them to grab some time on your calendar without asking them a single question about themselves. So why the hell are you doing that online? Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's exactly what you just said. So why are we putting together Instagram posts or LinkedIn posts or Facebook posts that don't really fit your personality because they think they're what people want to hear, not how you really want to come across to the world. Oh, 100%. And people are, and my husband's the same way. He wait, like he'll, <laughs> he'll compose a tweet for his own personal Twitter and like sit there and look at it for like 10 minutes and rewrite it a billion times. And he's like, I'm not good at Twitter. And I'm like, no, you're just way overthinking it because you're trying <laughs> to make something that like everyone's going to like and everyone's going to think is smart. And I'm like, just write what you want to write and then put it out there. You know, like, that, that is the beauty, I mean, and the downsides of social media. But I'm like, people can tell when you're enjoying it. Yeah. And when you're just doing it at beauty. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so true. Well, thank you for you and all of your brilliance and for being here today. Um, we definitely chatted for longer than you thought we would, but I, <laughs> which I'm not surprised by. I feel like that's always the case when we chat. <laughs> but I'm so grateful for you sharing your experience um, with our audience. And of course, just grateful for you and, and Cole and um, being a part of your business journey. Um, any, any final thoughts, anything else you want to leave the audience with? So I have this little analogy I've been using lately, especially for any creative out there. If like the service you're selling involves some kind of creativity, I always think of my creativity as a backyard filled with puppies. Okay. Get a backyard <laughs> filled with puppies. That's your creativity. It wants to run rampant, right? All of you women out there with your creativity, you want to just show up every day and just let your creativity fill the world. Okay, but here's the problem. If puppies ran all over the place, they'd get run over by cars, they'd get stolen, all kinds of issues. So put up fences with people you trust so your puppies can have fun in the backyard. Oh. But they're safe. Okay? I know it's the weirdest analogy, but it's the one I run with when I'm having one of those days where I'm like, I feel like my creativity, like I'm getting burned or I'm not growing. It's like, oh, I'm just going to put up a little fence and keep my creativity safe and constructive where it can grow. So 
that's why you guys should call Ryan and help build a fence so your, <laughs> your, your creativity puppies can yeah there you go that's there you go <laughs> That is the best thing ever. That is the best final thought so far in this podcast that I've got. One Sarah Jo Crawford. Oh, you're welcome for that. <laughs> it's a you. Sarah Crawford original right from my brain. <laughs> uh, well, thank you again, Sarah. Thank you all for listening to the Uncensored Sales Podcast. If you would like to continue the conversation, you can join me over in the Sales Skills for Women in Business Facebook group. It is my favorite place to hang out. Um, I also do spend a lot of time on LinkedIn, so feel free to connect with me over there. It's Ryan with two N's, Dowdy, and we will see you in the next episode.